Nintendo murders Dolphin. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Nintendo's echo chamber. Welcome to my house. And Doom runs on another thing. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, guys. Very much enjoyed last week's show with Controller Reese. Thank you for uh, coming and being our guest, Reese. Good, good chats last week. Yeah, it was good. Good having yeah. Reese on. Been wanting to catch up with him. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Well, while he was there, I was um, having the kids' half term history of video games session at the cave. So that took a lot of prep, which is why I wasn't here last week. Uh, full house, good session. Really enjoyed that. But now I can get my head back into the into the videos this week. Got some really um, fun ones planned this week, including a collaboration with Alex from the Arcade Archive. So I'm really looking forward to just doing a bit more with him because it seems a shame that he's in the building and I'm not making so many videos mm. with him at the moment. In fact, I'm not making any videos with him. So it'd be nice to have a bit of crossover, share our experiences and find some common ground where we can make videos together. So um, that should be fun. Yeah, Chris, how's your week been? Yeah, good. Um, one of the things we discussed last week was the fact that I'm 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 perilously close to having more Ataris than Amigas um, after Ooh. picking up the Light Sixer, the Woody. Um, I've bought another system to rectify it, uh, but I made a mistake and I, I just couldn't resist picking up the Vader as well <laughs> because it was ridiculously cheap. So do I now have – well, I now have more Ataris than Amigas, but uh, I've been saved because – I forgot that I've got a C64 on the shelf, so I've got equal number of Ataris and Commodores, if I look at it that way. So so I'm happy. It's it's fine. They can Balance. stay. Wow. Even, With even, J Miner's influence, and I think it was Amiga Day the other day, wasn't it? J Miner's birthday was declared Amiga Day. But mm. with his influence, you know, an Amiga is, what, 60% Atari anyway? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all now know the history. We didn't seem to know these these things back in the day when we were fighting hand and fist, you know, in the playground as to which one was better uh anyway um and also um i just want to quickly have a shout out to the perth amiga users group because we've now launched a a channel um so if you're interested in what went down in meet nine which is a fantastic meet the first video on that channel is in fact the video of meet nine so do check it out Excellent. And I heard you had some special guests fly in, especially for your Perth Amiga user group when I was listening to yeah. last week's show. So fantastic that people are hearing about it and making the effort. And that's youtube.com forward slash at Perth Amiga user group. Dave, you've been upgrading things this week. Yeah, I put the the Orpheus 2 that I talked about, which comes with a built-in Gravis ultrasound. I put it into my DOS PC um, and I got it working. And first thing I loaded was One Must Fall 2097. Absolutely love the game, and it sounds even better in Gravis Ultrasound. A banger that um, soundtrack. Amazing, yeah, it's a banger. <laughs> yeah, um, Rise of the Robots in the bin. Um, <laughs> but I've had a modern PC failure, and like you, I'll be installing Windows 11 soon. Oh, your main PC's gone. Right, yeah. okay. Well, the NVMe is failing on it, so it needs to be replaced. But I did something last night, and it, it was really enjoyable. I watched, it was Hazemaker64, and he was he was playing the demos from X Demo Party, which happened on the Saturday, I think, yeah. and it was Commodore 64 demos. They were phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. Every single one was tremendous. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't want to 
I don't want to put people down, but I've been a bit disappointed with Amiga demos recently. But the Commodore 64 demos, tremendous. Every single one was great. Really, think, really enjoyable. I, I think part of the problem with Amiga demos is sometimes the bar is set so high mm. that you can mm. only disappoint until somebody reaches those giddy heights again. It's very difficult to to mm. reach the heights of some of those demos. But um, yeah, nice to see some of the other platforms um, get some recognition. And oh, just some, some incredible stuff being done. Yeah. I installed uh, Windows 11, like you mentioned, this week on my laptop. Um, no complaints about it. You know, for me, Windows since Windows 7 has been pretty much, you know, the same. They've been building on on that foundation. It's just the way that, um, it's just about the notifications and the things that it it bugs you with that that come to the fore. And I solve all that by using um, either OpenShell or um, I installed Start All Back on Windows 11 because OpenShell was unable to remove the Windows 11 start menu. So I had my classic start menu overlaid on the Windows 11 start menu. (laughs) So I had to use start all back to remove the start menu. And then I've just got my classic Windows 7 style start menu and everything where I want it. I like to organize my start menu in subfolders. Um, oh, because it, okay. at the moment, Windows, I know that there's nothing retro about this conversation. Sorry, but I'm going to rant. <laughs> um, at the moment, Windows, when you press the start menu, you go in, it expects you to type, doesn't it, what you want? Yes. Yeah. That's what I like about it. I can't remember what I've got installed. So I like to go into programs and then I'm like, okay, I go into my utilities folder. I go into my applications folder and I go into my Adobe folder. And yeah. that's where Premiere, I like to have it organized like that, you know, otherwise I, I completely forget what's on the machine. And that's the modern way of using a machine. You've got so much space and so much resource. You can forget what you've got installed, but I'm still of the mindset of saving every bit and every byte on my hard drive and knowing where uh, everything is. I've got used to the typing because what it does, you actually don't need to remember what you've got installed because it just seems to make the the best out of whatever i type in anyway it's like especially if you're looking for something in in control panel you don't have to necessarily type it correctly and it it takes you to the right place anyway it works for me yeah and i'm sure as ai becomes integrated with our os's we can just go um load up that that (laughs) thing that does the thing with the audio for me and it will go oh yeah audacity here you go yeah yeah (laughs) that's where we go i find I find the opposite. I find when I'm looking for something, if I spelt it slightly wrong, I get a web search instead. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, it's, that it's, true. it's almost like it's almost like Windows Search is designed to get me to do what what I don't want to do instead. Mm, yeah. um, I, I I I admire Neil's neat working environment where he's got everything put in folders, <laughs> just like we used to do with Windows ninety five when it was all new and fresh, and we're oh, I'm mm. going to do this just right. I've even set the Windows 95 setup screen as my background. You know, the blue one with like the CD Mm -hmm. and the mouse and all of that. Oh, it's a lovely background. Yeah, so I've got that. Um, Anyway, we we could rant about this for the entire show, but we need to talk about retro things. uh, And let's go first to Dave, your housekeeping. Dave, how's you keeping? I'm keeping fine, Neil. (laughs) As are Bitter Blitter, Brett and Derek, who have all signed up to be new patrons. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, If you would like to join them, then go to www.patreon.com slash thisweekinretro and become a twirler. Links in the show notes. 
Now, last week, I mentioned that Windows XP runs on top of DOS, and, and it does. I really do feel it runs on top of DOS. But for the avoidance of any confusion, DOS isn't running in the background. So if you thought that's what I meant, it isn't what I meant. What I mean, what I mean is that for us retro enthusiasts, it loads DOS first. We can stop it at that point and use DOS version 7 quite effectively, or we can continue into Windows. But it isn't running DOS in the background. Didn't mean that. So if that's what you... If that, that's one of the myths I think that people have, that DOS is still there in the background when Windows, Windows is running. Not the case. Yeah, it's um, not a Windows 3.1 type experience. No. Um, no. Yeah, and also the, the Windows XP um, has, a, has a long and interesting heritage that goes back through NT4, NT3, all the mm-hmm. way back to the um, collaboration yeah. with IBM on um, OS2 yeah. and all of that. So th- there's so much to learn about. It's very easy to bash Windows, but there are yeah. some really interesting Sorry, I, I, when stories. I say Windows XP doesn't run on top of it, I mean Windows 98, that's even worse. Windows I mean, 98, worse. oh, Dave, yeah, you're, in was, need, <laughs> you're in an even deeper hole no, than you started in. No, <laughs> sitting no. here thinking, you didn't say that last week. Oh, I must have missed no. something. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, Windows 98 and Windows 95 load DOS first, and yes. then they do some clever stuff with DOS that intercept handlers and so on. Yeah. Then they go into Windows, and when Windows is running, DOS really isn't running. It's not there in the background. It was there. Yeah, Windows yeah, XP. You can, you can get back that. to pure DOS and just do DOS things if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Windows yeah. XP, bit different. Not so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have think we come out of that, that all right, or we just have we just raised no, more questions? We than we but, have it's no, but it's fun. But it's fun. It's fun. I'll enjoy the comments next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. How would you like? How would you like a directory which has all the Amiga stuff on it? In fact, all the Commodore stuff. In fact, all the retro stuff in one place. This directory. You can find the, the shops, the repair services, the arcades, the exhibitions, museums, podcasts, Amiga user groups, all in one place, and it's a global directory. Well, it already exists. We covered that in a previous episode. It's free, it's finished, it's there right now to use, and it's overdue and us coming back to visit it. Um, this is Rob Smith's retro.directory, um, and we talked about it uh, before. We hoped it would become a success, and the good news is that it has been. It is a success. Uh, there are loads and loads of things on it now, hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know how many there are. If you look at the UK, if you look at Europe, you look at North America, Canada, uh, Canada and America, <clears throat> loads of things. If you're looking for something to do at the weekend or if you want to find out what's nearby you or if you want to get your computer repaired, you don't know who's nearby and you can drive it to rather than post it, then have a look there. But spread the word about it. Tell people about it. Tell people to come and use it. Um, the more use it yeah. gets, the better. And it's um, not just places to go. It's also events. So we put our events mm, up yeah. there as well so people know uh, and can plan ahead for events, special events, expos, things like that. So, yeah, retro.directory is a fantastic website. Highly recommended. Mm. Yeah. You, you 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 guys jumped on straight away, Neil, uh, which is yeah. good. So it doesn't rely – it's not a for-profit thing. It doesn't need a big Kickstarter. It relies on people spreading the word. So talking about that, why is the UK, Europe, USA, Canada, et cetera, so well represented? But your adopted country, Chris, Chris, why is Australia Chris, too lazy to add themselves to just, it? What's there going on there? Retro? Where's the Perth Amiga user group Look. on the retro directory? Look, well, now that a I'm black hole. I, I can quite rightly add that. Uh, but you can add um, it. You, I, I, you I, can I, add things that you don't own. You can add it, and then someone else can take ownership when they want. 
You can I, do I'm going to feel like a politician because I'm going to be, are you going to let me answer the question? Are you going to let me answer the question? <laughs> are you going to answer the question? I'll answer, answer the question. Yes, and if you're not going to answer it. Um, look, I, look, I quite rightly, what I did when it first came out was I, I actually messaged a heap of retro businesses because it, it's, it's neater if the actual business owner adds themselves. And, yeah. and some of them haven't. The only answer I can have for you, Dave, is in Australia, people tend to go outside. So, um, you know, maybe they're just outside doing outside things. Wow. <laughs> you know, Adelaide, we got, we got the Adelaide retro computing groups there, Chris. What have yeah, Adelaide know, got over you guys? Um, well, I'll certainly add Porg, that's for sure. Um, and I didn't realize they had the event section, um, so we'll add that. Um, Nostalgia Box was there from day one, well, even before I logged on. They were, they that's were the only there, thing in so, Perth, yeah. Yeah, yeah so apparently it's the only thing in Perth. No, we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Yeah, it's all good. You need, WA you need, time. You need to have, WA time, you need wait to be an evangelist. Wait evangelist for it. <laughs> Brisbane yeah, has got people four things. It. So at the moment, Brisbane appears to be the Brisbane retro sucks. capital of <laughs> Australia. Oh. Sorry to any Brisbane listeners, we'll, but we'll it looks like Brisbane. they've got no, all the no, it's just it's just what you do in Australia. You take the mickey out of the, uh, the other states. Uh, Brisbane's rubbish. You don't want to go to Brisbane. Yeah, Perth will sort it out. We'll beat them all. <laughs> have a look at the UK in comparison to Australia. The UK's got loads of stuff on it, and Australia's like, yeah. nah, yeah. can't be bothered, mate. Yeah, Even we're, going, we're going down a pub. More than or down the beach, going down the beach, going down the pub at the beach. That's where we're going. <laughs> Chris, I, I, I don't want to break it to you, but you don't need to put on an Australian accent for us. So, <laughs> for the Australians, Australian Australian do, the Australians yeah, don't smart. think I have an Australian accent, and they probably don't think that sounded like an Australian accent either. So oh. I can't win. <laughs> We're going off the rails today. Um, is that is that the end of your housekeeping, Dave? <laughs> We've ruined it. I'll, I'll do. That's plenty. <laughs> That's plenty. Let's get into this week's stories. Our first story was submitted by Starcade2084 over at our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, if you want to contribute or just read up on the stories. And um, I've titled it Nintendon't, and I'm sure you can guess why. Dolphin is a well-known emulator for the Nintendo Wii and GameCube. Dolphin being the code name for the GameCube when it was in development. As well as emulating games from systems, it allows you to upscale and use the power of your modern GPU to enhance games and get the very best out of them, more than anyone ever expected to get out of them. Why is it in the news this week? Well, it's because Dolphin hit Valve's Steam service and a pre-release page was added in anticipation of its release. Dolphin isn't hard to find. It's got a GitHub page of its own and it's got an active community, plenty of people using it. But putting it on Steam would certainly reach a wider audience and result in more people playing Nintendo games, more often than not without Nintendo hardware or original games. That's just the way it goes with emulation. Is this a problem? Well, no, because emulators don't normally ship with system ROMs or games. They're reverse engineering projects which fall within the law, or certainly the US laws. Uh, I'm not au fait with every law in every land, but it certainly falls within US law. And I'm pretty sure UK law when it comes to reverse engineering, but don't quote me on that. If you're going to court, I'm not your man. Um, so we, the enthusiasts, celebrate emulators for uh, many things, including their technical achievements, just seeing the fact that these things are possible, and for allowing us to preserve the experience of vintage systems without the need to hunt out sometimes rare systems or completely unobtainable games or just stupidly priced games that we all see on eBay. 
But for the companies who own the rights to the systems, emulators can be an annoyance at best and damaging to their revenue at worst. For example, when they try to sell a way to play their old games on their platforms. Um, and if a free alternative is out there, then you know they are potentially losing out on revenue. But there's nothing they can do about that within the law. The difference, however, with Dolphin is that Nintendo, famed for being extremely active in protecting their intellectual property, have pressured Valve into taking Dolphin off of Steam before it even launched. They've done it on the grounds that Dolphin doesn't contain the copyrighted BIOS ROM needed to use it, but that it contains the key needed to decrypt and read the BIOS. And that argues Nintendo is not within the realms of the law. The request from Nintendo reads... We and Nintendo GameCube files, or ROMs, are encrypted using proprietary cryptographic keys. The Dolphin emulator operates by incorporating these cryptographic keys without Nintendo's authorization and decrypting the ROMs at, an immediately, at or immediately before runtime. It therefore circumvents a technological measure that effectively controls access. So distribution of the emulator itself constitutes unlawful trafficking in a technology. Hmm. This is all outlined in the Ask Technica article, which will be linked in the show notes. And it says that the letter doesn't actually take the form of a takedown request, but it was persuasive enough for Steam to not want to get involved whatsoever and um, took it down. If we go over to Dolphin's own homepage, they've put a blog post there, which says um, it's been indefinitely postponed from Steam. They say, we were notified by Valve that Nintendo has issued a cease and desist which Ars Technica say it wasn't a cease and desist, so um, I'm not quite sure. Um, and it says, uh, citing the DMCA, or Digital Millennium Copyright Act, against Dolphin's Steam page, and they've removed Dolphin from Steam until the matter is settled. We are currently investigating our options, and we will have more in-depth response in the future, a more in-depth response in the future. So the Dolphin team openly admit and accept that the key is in the source code, and the key is publicly known, so an option that's been touted is maybe just prompt the end user to put the key in. If it's out there, they can just copy and paste it maybe at the time of installing, and that circumvents the problem. I don't know. There's no sign of this going to court at this stage, and I'm not entirely sure either side would actually want it to go to court to be tested, because it could go either way, and it would set a precedent that they may or may not be happy with for future cases. But Nintendo will no doubt be satisfied that simply applying the pressure has achieved their goal of getting it off of Steam. So um, let's start with uh, you, Chris. Do you think this is too hot and heavy from Nintendo, or is this uh, fair? Oh, look, whether it's fair or not is, again, you know, it's outside of our, you know, realms of expertise in terms of what side of the law it lays on. Um, personally, I, I think Nintendo are doing a great job of protecting their IP as a company, and it is IP they quite rightly own in most instances. Like I said, not an expert on this particular matter. Um, and I've got absolutely nothing against emulation. I use it myself, and a lot of the emulators get away with it in this way. They don't include necessarily the ROMs. You have to bring your own, and, I, and clearly you have to bring your own games unless they come bundled with. When they do come bundled with games, such as you know the emulator running in the A500 Mini, it's because they have the IP for those games, so that's a whole different kettle of fish. But what it comes down to for me is, you know, we're trying to emulate the Wii and the GameCube, Two points I want to raise. One is Wii's 
and, and the Wii can play GameCube games, they're readily available still and they're dirt cheap. You can pick them up everywhere because they're, they're kind of, you know, a couple of generations back. Neil? My last Wii came from the side of the road. It was just there. Just, yeah. Just dumped. Like, okay. You I'll can get arrested for weeing at the side of the road. Well, you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I cleaned it up, Dave. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually got here's, – here's our original Wii that we bought when they were brand new. This is our first is Wii. Book? And no, it looks like a book, doesn't it? Um, and you got the you got the ports for the, which a feature we've never used, but you've got the ports on the side for your GameCube controllers. As anybody, I'm not sure they've the all got that port. I think some of the later ones have lost that. Didn't, GameCube yeah. Port. But yeah, this is our yeah. original one, and it it works like the day we bought it. Despite, I mean, you can you can see it's not particularly well looked after. It's covered in dust and scratches. I had to retrieve this from the the front lounge because guess what? It stays plugged into the TV because it's never been taken out of active use. So emulation for me, you know, the older the system, the more emulation makes sense. When a system is readily available, I wouldn't be getting my knickers in a twist about whether or not it's possible to emulate or legal to emulate. Um, and and the other thing I want to raise is that, and I, I'm not going to be popular with these views, I know, but that's fine. Nintendo aren't just sitting on their IP. They're actually doing a great job at catering to the retro, retro market via things like the Switch uh, and seeing old games re-released. And yes, they kind of jump on some of these projects, these fan projects and whatever, but then they, they at least seem to then do something with them. And, and and make a release. So I, don't, I actually don't have a problem with Nintendo doing that. So, you know, my question here is, is the community once again just getting a bit sad because it wants everything for free? And it, it, that, that's, you know, that's what it comes down to. And it's funny yeah. how, you know, it's, it's the fans that never want to pay for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's a bit weird. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we often lament about all the big names of old, like, you know, Commodore and stuff like that, that went bust. But we actually forget to celebrate the ones that have stuck around. They're, they're successful. They've made it. They continued into the modern day and they haven't forgotten their legacy. And and we punish them for it. So, yeah. yeah. Not a popular opinion, I know, but yeah. It's far easier to construct a, an argument against this kind of thing than it is to defend it so mm, interesting mm. to hear your thoughts on that uh, while that was going on dave was holding up his t-shirt which this week is from the razor cracking group so he's wearing his pro piracy t-shirt <laughs> dave will that influence your thoughts on this so i'll come on to that um but first of all i noticed all sorts of hot takes and opinions with people unequivocally stating things one way or the other the internet is full of it I, I, I can't stand people making out that they are an authority in something when they're not. You don't know the answer. Don't pretend you absolutely do. That's the source of all internet arguments. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know what the legal outcome of this is, and I don't think anyone does. I don't think Nintendo do, uh, and I don't think uh, Dolphin do. And I don't know if it'll go that far. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe Nintendo think they can get it off Steam and get it away from the mass market. Uh, and this way, and Dolphin think, well, we can still exist and we can't go on Steam, but at least we can still exist. And that's the happy medium without the risk to Nintendo of losing, because the risk to Nintendo is not the, the cost of taking this to court. It's the, the risk of, of losing this in court, which would then mean presumably much more emulation and much more widespread. And the cost to the Dolphin team of fighting it because presumably they have nothing like anything like the resources of Nintendo and why would they for a, a, a homebrew fan project? 
Now, it's important to remember what Nintendo's business model is. They make something like one third of the price of a Wii game being sold. So they're all about making money from selling the games. It's not what we're used to with microcomputers where they sold us the computer and they didn't make any money from any games unless they had their own software house. So they have an interest in protecting that and making sure that ROMs don't become a thing. If ROMs became a thing for Nintendo, they'd, they'd be in big trouble, Neil. Well, I mean, what about in the case where the game is no longer available to purchase? You get, you know, you can't go out and buy a new Wii game. Sure, you can go to a charity shop, but the, yeah. the developers aren't so, benefiting so that's, from that. That's where we have the wider question, and that's one we've touched on a few times before. What happens when something reaches the end of its commercial life? We talked about it last week with Windows XP. So what happens with Wii games when they reach the end of their, of their commercial life? Presumably, Nintendo is going to sell them again in some format on the Switch or whatever comes out next. A they Wii will Mini. sell these again. A Wii Mini, yeah. yeah. It a, is a, Mini. A Wii Wii. <laughs> it's already Mini. It is Mini, yeah. It's even <laughs> weir. Um, but they don't, it, it, it's the size it is because they need to have an optical drive in there. Without the optical drive, it could be even weir. Is it um, a Wii Wii? It, that, well, that's Wii the Wii. Irish no, release. No, yeah. The Wii Wii. Wii Wii. Uh, <laughs> Wii, Wii. Um, Why is that Wii so, Man? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why is that Wii Man? Um, that's better. <laughs> Now, there is there there is a duty of developers to do something with it. I mean, it, nothing nothing comes from from nowhere. It comes from the culture that it exists in. Um, copyright exists to protect it in its commercial life, and afterwards, it then goes to the public domain. So there is there is a duty for it to end up there. However, we know what developers are like. Now, I'm not specifically talking about Nintendo here, but particularly on PC for online games, where all of a sudden buying that set, we can't make money, we're just dropping it, and the DRM perhaps will stop working and all the rest of it. But I, I really don't think this applies to Nintendo and to Dolphin and to the Wii. I I, I would be stunned if in 10 years' time Nintendo are not selling this stuff one way or the other somewhere. So for me, as far as I'm concerned, Dolphin is a piracy tool. Uh, it's there to allow you to play games without buying them, so you can so you can use the ROMs. It's not as if someone's sitting there with a pile of Wii games, thinking, "How can I possibly play these Wii games?" And Do Dolphin's not the answer to that. Dolphin's the answer to how can I play Wii games using these ROMs that I've downloaded on the internet. Now, as I said, it, it, it's piracy, and I I am I am not going to necessarily speak out against piracy in all forms. Uh, I have in the past um, talked about how I regret some acts of piracy that I've committed. Um, however, I, I'm not entirely against it, and you cannot argue with the contribution that piracy has made towards um, f fixing little things in games and towards game preservation. A lot of the game preservation we have now is directly down to piracy. Um, but I, I think Dolphin is a, is a tool to allow you to play um, Wii games without buying them. Don't call it something else. I don't think it's not that. How do pirates like to play their games, Dave? Well, I know the answer to this. I know this is going to so let Chris answer first. No, I can't. I can't think. What's the is it in line? VR? <laughs> VR. Um, I love it. I don't think the argument can be made purely for piracy because, yeah, sure, Nintendo might want to sell it in ten years' time, but longer term. 
these projects will preserve that experience and allow you to play them when when Nintendo don't care anymore or don't exist anymore when they've you know been wiped out by the competition which is completely possible at some point um so I applaud them for the preservation aspect of it. And what better time to develop emulation than when there is a buzz about the system and people want to actively encourage and support the developers. So it's probably the best time to develop an emulator for the longer term. So I think with the longer term goals, I think we should applaud emulation. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I thought you would both sort of pile on Nintendo when this story came up, but you, you've you know you've taken quite balanced approaches to the story. Uh, N- Nintendo in the past have had a lot of criticism for fan projects, which, in my view, do no harm whatsoever to their uh, intellectual property. And the criticism there, uh, I'm not saying in all cases, but the criticism there seems to be really quite valid, and it's really quite miserable the way that Nintendo have crushed these fan projects out of existence, where I, I just don't see the harm in them. But I I, I I don't think I could be honest and say that Dolphin is a harmless thing. It's it's um it's a way of playing these old Wii games, and if it establishes itself on Steam, if if it establishes itself on Steam, it's just a search away to unlock it and turn it into a fully function thing. We can download the software when Nintendo relaunch the Wii software in some other way. Then Nintendo are going to find they're not able to to sell it, and um, the world we live in, uh, they're they're entitled to do that. A, th- a thing with the fan projects, um, and GoldenEye is the obvious one, is it's not so much a point of them crushing them or that being harmless, and this is just my opinion, but maybe it's a point of them going, well, we were going to do that, or, hey, we could have done that. <laughs> Whichever came first, whether it was the fan project or mm-hmm. Nintendo having a plan to do a, do a high-res re-release, we don't know. But at the end of the day, Nintendo own the IP, and also they have to get the movie IP um, to be able to release that as well. So mm-hmm. a, a fan can get away with it, whereas a corporation has other ho- hoops to jump through. Um, but of course, if they could think, okay, we could do this and we could release it on a Switch, and that's a money spinner right there, and they own the IP, of course they're going to want to do that. And a fan project does actually threaten that. So, yeah. Mm. And when you get remastered versions of games on the Switch, for example, um, you, you might find actually it's even more remastered if you're playing it on an emulator and using a PC GPU and ramping up all the extra features um, and you, you get just the same or a, a similar result. Anyway, I'm sure there will be much more news. You can follow the story at Ask Technica on the um, the link in the show notes and no doubt Dolphin themselves will put out um further releases on their uh, github page where you can still download and use the emulator it hasn't been wiped off the face of the planet dave i did a quick google to look at timescales and goldeneye 007 the fps was a 1997 game and the wii lifespan was 2017 they stopped selling the mini so 2017 is six years ago that doesn't seem like it's the right. It doesn't feel like the right timescale to say no. This isn't piracy. This is just uh, software preservation. It feels too recent. Mm. Oh yeah, and this yeah. isn't yeah. this isn't the first example of it. If you go back to something like Ultra HLE, which was emulating the N sixty four to a standard where you could play Mario sixty four or Zelda really well yeah. all the way mm. through during the mm. lifetime of the console, Nintendo had every right to get angry about that, just as I had. <laughs> I had no right, but I was punching the air with my 3DFX card going, wow, I can run N64 games on my PC. So that, <laughs> I was excited from that point of view. 
I'm not saying that I'm not saying you're the world's worst person, but if you're gonna, if it's <laughs> but... piracy, call it piracy. Don't 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 shroud it in in this conceit that oh no, it's not. If it's piracy, it's piracy. Call it. Oh, piracy. I'm not shrouding it at all. It was piracy, no, and I was. You're, you're 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 honest enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I was I was excited about it, but um, yeah, arguments to be made. And and uh, Dave is holding up his t-shirt one last time. King of the pirates. Let's move on to our next story. Time now to talk about our sponsors, and uh, I've done something very special for us this this week, guys. I've gone to ChatGPT and I've asked it to make us an advert. Yeah, that's how things are done these days. Oh, no. Um, at first, it came up with an advert which involved uh, how to set up the scene. It came up with a movie script. So, um, you know, it had music fades in, music fades out. But through a bit of whittling, because you can have a two-way conversation with ChatGPT, I said, no, make it for a podcast, remove the music, include some of the latest articles. And here we are with our ChatGPT advert. So you've all got a piece of the script. Let's go. I'll start. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Pixel Talk, the podcast for all the pixel enthusiasts out there. And today we have a special guest with us. Dave, we have a question for you. What's your favorite pixel art piece and why does it resonate with you? Well, thanks for having me on the show. My favorite <laughs> pixel art piece has to be Pixel Dreamscape by renowned artist Emily Green. The way she masterfully combines colours and shapes creates a dreamlike world that truly captivates my imagination. It resonates with me because it reminds me of the power of creativity and how pixels can transport us to fantastical realms. That sounds incredible, Dave. Pixel Dreamscape truly sounds like a work of art that captures the essence of pixel perfection. Now, let's hear from our special guest, Chris. Chris, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about Pixel Addict magazine? Absolutely. <laughs> um, if you're passionate about pixels as we are, head over to pixel.addict.media. That's where you'll find all the latest issues, subscription options, and a wealth of information about the Pixel universe. Don't miss out on the chance to immerse yourself in the world of pixel art uh, Pixelated. Pixelated art and creativity. Thank you, Chris. So to all our <laughs> listeners, make sure you visit pixel.addict.media to discover more about Pixel Addict magazine and the pixel goodness it has to offer. In the latest issue of Pixel Addict magazine, you'll find an incredible lineup of articles that will blow your mind. One, preserving digital culture. Discover the monumental efforts to maintain classic hardware, software, and video games for future generations. Two, House of the Dead. Dive into the iconic movie and game franchises for an unforgettable experience. Three, Acorn BBC Micro in 2023 and beyond, part two. Explore the future of this beloved computer and continued impact. Four, rare computer hardware. Uncover the significance of the Philips VG5000 and other rare gems. Five, essential Microsoft Windows versus IBM OS2. Journey through the histories of these influential operating systems. That's right, folks. These articles are just a no, taste. No, no, again, more, again with more enthusiasm. That's right, folks. These articles are just a taste of the exciting content waiting for you on the latest issue of Pixel Addict magazine. That's all for today, Pixel fans. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for more exciting discussions and interviews in the world of Pixels. Until then, keep those Pixels alive. <laughs> this has been <laughs> Pixel Talk, your podcast for all things Pixel. Thank you for listening.
keep those pixels alive. Only an AI is going to write about keeping pixels alive. <laughs> it's self-preservation. I needed to do finger guns. Keep those pixels alive. I, I, I now think that daytime TV has been written for years by yes. AI. Yes. Yeah. It broke That's out it's only the TV like. studios. Well, there you go. Thank you to pixel.addict.media. Um, do check them out. <laughs> Imagine, if you will, a tale of murder and secrets. Murder. A tale of ghosts and puzzles. A tale of mystery and bad acting and of unskippable hammy cutscenes and chessboard puzzles. By 1993... PC games had started to leave the constraints of the 1.44 megabyte floppy disk or 800 kilobytes if you're still slumming it on Amiga land. A CD-ROM hang held... On, hang on, 500... 1.76 megabyte high-density disks as well, thank you. They were rare. Did any of the games, did any of the games come out on that? Carry on, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> A CD-ROM held about 500... HD floppy disks, and while some games just added an FMV intro or just used the space for audio, was that was is that yellow book, green book? What what book was that? Red book sure. audio. Neil, red, red book, book audio, audio yeah. on a CD with data. Okay, yeah. um, and so in fact, some were just a, nothing at all. They just put the normal disc game on there. Others did more. They added full speech and cutscenes. But for most games, the CD-ROM version was an enhanced version, or at a push, the floppy disk version was a cut-down version. But some games truly embraced the capacity of the CD-ROM and the multimedia revolution that was going on, and were CD-only by necessity, like Myst, or like the game I'm going to talk about today, a game that must have sold hundreds of thousands of CD-ROM drives and Sound Blaster 16 combinations. The seventh guest and thanks to rocky 1138 for submitting this now for those of you who don't know seventh guest was an enormously popular game set in a haunted house where you would explore and solve puzzles there were six guests before you in the demented toy maker's house all the time you're finding out more about the story as you explored all with 90s fmv and the acting isn't necessarily great. It, it really wasn't in, in, until later on uh, in FMB games, until it got really good. Now, throughout the game, you would zoom in on things that you clicked. It, the game was designed to be a little bit on rails because of the, just the nature of how it, how it worked. Um, you would solve these these puzzles. Neil? I was just going to comment on the acting, um, just remembering some of huh. these early FMV games. They weren't even actors. They were the game developers no. themselves in a lot of mm. the games. And it was only later on that actors or um, out-of-work actors to begin with started to, you know, take up roles. And then others saw the potential or the money to be made in, in some of these games. So it's lovely to play some of these really old FMV games and play spot the developer or spot the, the cleaner or spot <laughs> the, you know, the, the children, whoever they could get to be in the games. But, um, yeah, this one was slightly slicker than what we'd seen before, that's for sure. Yeah. So the game had some problems, and I wouldn't really strongly recommend playing it for any length of time, as I don't think it's aged too well. The game relies heavily on a sense of wonder and patient attention from the player, and that was much easier in 1993 when all this was new and amazing. Um 
the game has problems with it. There's shortcuts to other rooms that you click on by accident. You'll accidentally restart a cutscene which you can't skip. There's times when you'll make a misclick and it'll cost you minutes of plodding back to where you were. And if, if you want to more, know more, I'd recommend that you watch Rose Tinted Spectrum's video on it, linked in the show's notes, which goes pretty deep into the game and its highlights and its shortcomings. Um, so in terms of games that I think have aged badly, I think FMV games are fairly high up there. Uh, that's not to say that you should ignore them, but you you do have to bear in mind the context of the times they came out and try and put yourself back there to enjoy them, unlike many other retro games which just are timeless and stand on their own. You can pick them up and play them and enjoy them. Neil, is there going to be an FMV game about Janet, and what do you think about The Seventh Guest? Janet the Ghost. Yeah, you've got to put yourself back in the context of when these came out and the the fact that the sound of a CD spinning up like a jet engine and the, uh, waiting for the seek time to happen and the FMV to start actually put a smile on your face because you were like, yeah, I've got a CD-ROM drive. I can play multimedia games. I mean, it wore off quickly, but there was a period when you were pretty smug about it. Um, FMV game about Janet, that would probably just be me blaming her for all the coffee cups that I've left around the cave and then have to wash up. It wouldn't be the most exciting <laughs> game. But seven, Seventh Guest, uh, I've got some good memories of Seventh Guest because it's a game I used to play at a friend's house. And he lived in a, a big four-story, I think it maybe five-story with the basement Victorian house. And in the room was an attic, and that was his room right at the top of the house. And in that room was a wooden board on the wall with all of the little bells which would have been rung in Victorian times by the people in the house to call the servants down from the servants quarter and do whatever they needed them to do. So we would be playing this game in constant fear that the bells would ring. It was, it was the perfect setting for a horror game on a dark night with the rain against the skylight thinking, did that bell just ring? Don't even look at them. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Scary as hell. Um, But yeah, I never got fully onto the FMV bandwagon. And I don't think most people did either. I think most of us at the time could see through it. We could see the game for how linear they were, the flaws that they had. And it would take a few more years until we got games like Under a Killing Moon or Wing Commander 3 to show us that FMV could complement a game well and cutscenes could work. But it, it shouldn't drive the game. It shouldn't be what we're just sat waiting for and going, well, this is the game then. Might as well pop something in the VHS player. You know, rewinding and fast forwarding is more interactive at times. Seventh Guest was followed by more of the same in the 11th hour. And more recently, we had a Seventh Guest remake in 2019, which I've seen on Steam and I think we covered on the show at some point. And I have heard rumours, and I think this might be where this story is leading to, Dave, of another remake. Is that what's happening? Yeah, so there's a new um, remake being announced. Um, there's a one-minute trailer come out. It doesn't really show a great deal. It's just a kind of a, an atmospheric tra- trailer for it. And um, it um, is going to be done through volumetric video. So Vertigo, the developer here. And what they've done is volumetric video, rather than um, standard FMV, which is from one fixed angle, they put loads of uh, loads of cameras around the actors and then they, they, they turn it into a, a, a texture map, 3D character model, and it ends up being, if they do it right, it should be like FMV, NVR, 
but not just with VR with a stereoscopic effect, but VR where you can move about and you'll still see them. So that would that would hopefully that would hopefully make the game much more immersive, and making it immersive is what's needed. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, I couldn't make out from the trailer if they have actually used that video to texture map actors. Um, because you you would use photographs, wouldn't you, to texture map a model? You wouldn't necessarily use video, or if those videos are going to drop in, so you can actually walk around the video, and are these characters going to appear as uh, three sixty degree FMV, if you like? Ooh, that would be interesting. Um, maybe maybe give them a holographic look. I don't mm. know. I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but um, yeah, volumetric video suggests they surrounded the actors with GoPros filmed from every angle and then you can approach them from any mm, angle, mm, mm. which would, it, unless they had like thousands of cameras, there will still be surely that kind of sprite type effect as they kind of jump between the angles when you walk around. No, them. no. The, no? the um, What they're doing is that they're, they're using those um, not to record video and then play back the video, but they're using those to, um, they say it, it, volumetric video is like bullet time for the Matrix. That's the, the game director, mm-hmm. Paul van der Veer. He says the actors stand mm-hmm. in the middle of the circle where they're being filled by cameras all around them. The result is a series of meshes with textures that update each frame. In right. other words... So it is they're turning maps. them into 3D. Yeah, so yeah. it's texture maps. So yeah. the, the, otherwise, you couldn't just freely wander about without no. the, the, the actors stretching and glitching and all the rest of it as, they, cool. as you switch from one recording to another. So the the main thing for me with that is it, it has to help make it more immersive because mm. that's the problem with Seven's Guest is unless you're fully engaged to the point of wonder with it, then it doesn't it doesn't fly. Yeah, well, that, that's really interesting, actually, and that makes it quite true to the original game in that the original game was kind of partly a, a tech demo. Yes, it was a game, and a lot of people have fond memories of it, but it was showing us things that we'd not seen been done before to that degree on our machine. So if this volumetric video is something new and exciting to, to see, then Seventh Guest seems like the you know a, a wonderful way to present it. Um, for us nostalgia heads so i look forward to seeing how that works we're so close aren't we we're so close to a point with video games where you take a technology like that that makes people look incredibly realistic merge it with ai and just say you're a shopkeeper act like a shopkeeper and just leave it to it you know dave i've just had a thought what they're doing with all these video cameras and all the the processing they're going to have to do with these to turn them into meshes it almost sounds like a job for AI. It almost sounds like a job like give AI three camera angles and it, it, it can extrapolate all the rest to the point of accuracy where the it, it's just as accurate as having all these these cameras in there. So maybe maybe this is what AI will do going forward when the recording when the recording films now maybe they'll end up doing this kind of volumetric video through AI to generate the rest of it and we'll end up with a sitting in the living rooms watching a film we can wander around in. Well, yeah, there are some incredible things happening. Just this week, the latest version of Photoshop Beta became available where you can take a picture and you can highlight parts of the picture now in Photoshop and you can just type what you want it to add. So add a lighthouse and it will blend it in. Or you can take an image and you can say, extend it out to the sides and it will just extend the image. So you could take an old piece of video game box art, highlight the sides and say, show me, show me more. 
and it will just expand the scene for you. Um, so, you know, t- take that forward a few years, add it into 3D environments and, you know, games are just generating themselves. Actors are just AI based. Obviously, I say obviously, I'd like to think these things always need the human touch to fine tune them, but there are some really, it's, it is a genuinely an exciting time for video games and also for retro gamers, because once all of that works, there's nothing to stop you saying, take my favorite game from 1993 or whatever, and give me a modern version, reinvent it for me. Ultimate uh, Underworld 3. There you go. Mm. Um, yeah, or create the sequel that never happened. Yeah. It's quite an exciting time. Um, Hopefully I won't be too old to enjoy it by the time it comes around. Anyway, um, coming back to this and where we are in the present day, there are still concerns for me for a VR seventh guest. Um, Concerns which I saw played out, for example, in the Colossal Cave VR game, Um, not least because that was probably released too early and it took that very modern stance of releasing a game while it's effectively still in beta and saying, yeah, we'll still improve it, we'll still improve it. And... Yeah, it's not. It's not how I like it, to get. I, I don't. I don't. Colossal Cave VR. Um, I don't mean to be mean about it, but I, I don't think it ever had legs. I think the project, at no stage, did the project look as if it was halfway towards something good. It, it just looked to me. It looked. It looked like a fan project done. In uh, it looked like a homebrew thing, and um, no, I, 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 I never. I, I didn't think it was incomplete. I just think it was poor. Well, coming back to Seventh Guest, we're trying to recreate that experience in VR. And what what was restrictive about the original game was the linearity of the experience of it, Um, doing the puzzles one by one and working your way through the game. So hopefully they can break out of that and make it a bit more of um, a game where you can explore, where you can approach puzzles in different orders without breaking the game, Uh, multiple routes, multiple endings. That's all the kind of stuff that needs to be added to the mansion which sounds great, but it also sounds infinitely more complex to create. So hopefully they find a nice balance for us there. And um, I think as a game choice to convert to VR, I think it's a really good one because we were constantly frustrated by those FMV games uh, and the fact that we could see things, but we couldn't get to them. There were rooms that were locked or there were, you just wanted to see around that sideboard and see what was there. Uh, You can do that. You'll be able to explore every nook and cranny of the whole thing. And there'll probably be plenty of jump scares thrown in along the way as well. So I think it's very appealing to be able to break those chains and see every part of the game that you always wanted to. Um, it's what really appealed to me when people started talking about 3D versions of Mist years ago and VR versions of Mist. It just appealed to me that you could actually explore the game fully. So I'm sure the same will apply to fans of The Seventh Guest. And it would be a real bonus um, if some of the original staff are maybe involved, people like George the Fat Man Sanger, if he was able to compose the music, for example. I'd love to hear some of those callbacks to the original game. Chris? Oh, I, I think this looks really good, actually. Um, I, I had a quick look at the trailer when I saw that we were covering this story. Um, and I, I played a little bit of Seventh Guest back in the day, not too much. You know, quite a lot of boring puzzles in it, you know, once you get past the veneer of the of the full motion video. Um, and like we've all already said, we all saw through that back in the day. Um, but I absolutely love VR horror and on my PSVR. Paranormal Activity, absolutely love that. And Blair Witch is another good one. Ironically, I've got the non-VR version of that, but you can get it in both, so I can understand how it would translate. Um, 
But I think this could really work, actually, and maybe the start of a revolution, like you've mentioned, Mist and, you know, Riven, you know, do we get stuff like that in VR as well? Night Trap, maybe. Um, You know, bringing the old FMV games back into a medium that actually works with with the idea of pre-scripted, puzzle-orientated gameplay. But the reason why, obviously, someone like Seventh Guest particularly and also mist or riven would work is it's not they're not just fmv but they're first person and so that that really makes them ready to make this leap into vr because you want a first person experience rather than third person which is what something like night trap would be i've still got a really itchy trigger finger um <laughs> wanting to buy a, a quest 2 so maybe you've actually given me another reason to think seriously about doing that dave chris sees a revolution coming um, I hope he's right. Um, I, I think this game will this this remake will stand or fall based on immersion. The whole seventh guest thing, as I've said, relies relies on you being enthralled by the experience and also by the story going on, the environmental storytelling going on as well as the story that directly told. You need to be enthralled and captivated by that. VR might allow that to happen. It, it makes me think of another game which I'd love to see in VR, and that's Alone in the Dark. Give us a VR mm, version oh of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Give me the heebie-jeebies. But you, you could redo it as first person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. would be cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, it, it will stand or, stand or fall on the, the immersion. You must be immersed in this. Otherwise, it's just a, oh, just click through it. Um, yeah. So 1993 full motion video no longer does that for me i have to try hard to enjoy it but vr might do it just just if they pull it off really well on the other hand if it doesn't work very well there is the 25th anniversary game that came out in 2019 they remastered it with better quality movie clips and sound a better control system a map menus and the ability to skip scenes so it looks as if they've addressed most of the issues that uh, uh, rose tinted spectrum picked up in his uh, review of it I've not seen that version, but it sounds like it addresses the problems in the original, so maybe that's the way to play it if you, if you want to play it, if this VR turns out to be a bit naff. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We don't do Doom Runs On stories, right? <laughs> Unless they're as good as this one. Okay, so this is this is Doom running on teletext. What well, page actually, number? <laughs> yeah, page number 888. No, it's not 888. 666, surely. Yes, page number 6 Of course. How did I miss that? How did I miss that opportunity? It's not actually Doom running on Teletext. What it is is it's actually being encoded into the Teletext format, but it's still very cool when you see the results. The story, which is on hackaday.com, uh, was written by Jenny List and was shared by Pacheco6502 and Indigo Prime. And headers D. So, you know, we, we get the picture. You want us to cover this story, okay? Um, and it is, it is a very cool story. Basically, as pointed out by Jenny, Doom isn't running on the teletext-enabled TV that can be seen in the YouTube video. It's just displaying the teletext data that it receives, which is smoothly updating in real time. And, and just to remind our listeners, because not everybody remembers this technology from back in the day, we have covered it in the past, but, you know, teletext and CFAX, you know, um, 
basically it was broadcast over the air your tv could receive it and it gave you standard text some rudimentary graphics you know blocks here or there um in fact teletext uh, quoting wikipedia here teletext or broadcast teletext is a standard for displaying text and rudimentary graphics on a suitably equipped television sets and that's from wikipedia dave yeah just to help clarity on it it was broadcast along with the normal TV signal, mm, so it didn't. Yeah. It wasn't. You didn't tune in to teletext channels. It was on your or our normal channels, BBC or ITV, the two main channels. The teletext information was broadcast along with the signal, and if your television had a decoder for it, it could also pick up the teletext, and you could view that there. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and the second Wikipedia quote, Pub- public teletext information services were introduced by major broadcasters in the UK, starting with the BBC's CFAX service in 1974, and it offered a range of text-based information, typically including news, weather, TV schedules, and also page subtitles, etc., etc. Um, and so for most of us, the memories of teletext were around, you know, reading jokes or the news or the weather or shopping for cheap flights or trying to turn off subtitles after accidentally enabling them <laughs> and forgetting which button it was <laughs> to actually football get them off results. your screen. Don't forget the football results. Oh, football results. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And any gaming. Digitizer. Holidays. Digitizer. Yes, holidays. yes. There was the CFAX holiday service, wasn't there? Oh, That's yeah. It. Holiday bargains. There were some really yeah. good deals in that. That's what my wife, Nikki, was very good at, um, just sitting there for hours waiting for the pages to turn to get the best flights all the time. <laughs> yeah, really, really good. Um, any gaming on teletext, if you could call it that, was simply text-based or graphics made up of huge blocks. Um, maybe you know a little bit reminiscent of ASCII art, I guess. And any anima- animation was just a two-step affair, enabled by the use of the reveal button. You know, to maybe <laughs> put an extra block in one corner of the screen. We're not talking even Tetris level, not even close. It, what it certainly didn't do was smooth scrolling or anything like that. But that's or what chicken seeing- nuggets. Or chicken nuggets. No, it wasn't playing on chicken nuggets. I would like to point out on the subject of chicken nuggets, because we've been talking about AI, (laughs) I used AI to create last week's chicken nugget thumbnail. It it Ah. created a handheld games console from a chicken nugget for me, and then I used that as the basis for your uh, thumbnail. So there you go. AI is already a part of the show. Aside from Chris. (laughs) No, Okay, reveal time. I'm actually Chris a bot. Chris is AI. <laughs> I'm actually a bot all along. You can probably tell by the way I, I get flummoxed by the simplest of words. It's clearly it's the low. AI. It's the low polygon count of his head <laughs> that gives it away. <laughs> <It's a key. laughs> yeah. oh. You can't say that to someone, Neil. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, Same applies to me, so I can say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where were we? What were we even talking about? <laughs> facts. Gaming on CFAX. Yes, it didn't really do it. Okay, so let's get back to the video we're talking about here, okay? Here it is, uh, a Teletext-enabled TV playing Doom via blocky but incredibly smooth scrolling graphics. And I'm talking smooth, smoother than my 386DX played Doom back in the day, even in low detail mode. And no, this isn't like Doom on a spectrum where it's Doom-like. This is literally playing Doom. Um, and you kind of forget that it's teletext until you see uh, it being controlled by a TV remote um, and until you see things like the exit menus and stuff like that where they those actually look very teletext. And then you realize things like the health and the ammo readouts are clearly teletext. So 
basically, according to the details on Hackaday, Doom is actually running on a Linux PC, which is also shown in the YouTube video, shows them running side by side. And it's sending the image data to a Raspberry Pi, which in turn is re-encoding it into, let's call it text art, and streaming that out to the TV. But it's still the TV itself doing the final render of that data. And I, I was actually expecting to see a refresh rate of like five frames an hour, because that's what Teletext was like. But this is really slick and totally playable. Um I guess what's going on here is a new way of basically utilizing the teletext ability of these old TVs, which potentially opens up, uh, you know, a way for for new projects. Neil, have you had a look? Yeah, um, I've had a look. It's fantastic. It's not the first time I've seen teletext used like this. So, for example, the famous Bad Apple demo, uh, there's a version of it for the BBC Micro, and the BBC Micro itself has a Mullard SAA5050 teletext display and decoder chip in it. So um, the cherry on the cake for me would be to see Doom piped into the BBC Micro played on that. That would be fun. Um, and I should also mention that you can actually play Doom on a BBC Micro if you put a Pi in the tube port and use it as a accelerator, a, a coprocessor. Um, so the BBC yeah, is just use, using the power of the Pi but playing um, Doom on the screen. So here's my perfect setup. You've got the Pi in the BBC Micro. You're playing Doom. You've got the BBC Micro plugged into a television, but then you pick up the television remote and press Teletext, and Doom then appears on the Teletext as well <laughs> from the same Pi, and you got you got double Doom going. You could maybe even set up a death match. Flick oh. <laughs> <laughs> into Teletext, make a move, flick back. Like a time-based turn death match, 30 seconds on each. <laughs> and back you go. I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the reason, of course, that we never saw this back in the day, because the delivery method of teletext was measured in pages per minute, not frames per second. But um, now that it's possible, it has got me thinking about what games would work well. Teletext does have a very BBC micro type look because of that. The, the way BBC Micro presented Mode 7 displays. Um, but yeah, now, now that we could do this without a BBC Micro in the middle and we could pipe it to anything that can support teletext, what would work well? First thing I thought of was a football manager game because no, it, it doesn't need a quick refresh rate, but it would just give us that nostalgia of watching the football results and waiting for them to update. I think that would work quite well. Uh, and the other that came to mind was 3D Monster Maze on the ZX81. I think that would translate quite well. And I think I did see on Twitter once somebody did um, a mock-up of 3D Monster Maze in teletext, just a static screen. But now we could see we could do that as a, as a moving version. That would be quite cool. The two amazing things here... The first thing is that a teletext decoder can work fast enough to deliver the FPS to make Doom playable. So this is the same teletext decoder chip that you would get in your old television in 1982, that you would look at the weather and you were waiting for it for ages for the page to update. And presumably what that means is that the information, had it got there faster, would have been able to see teletext much faster than what we had back in the day. Um, but the second thing is how convincing teletext characters can be when they're moving that fast. What this is doing is essentially translating the real pixels you get in Doom into teletext characters and using those teletext characters as pixels on the screen. And you're using giant pixels, but you can still clearly make out lots of detail in Doom on this. Um, however, it's not 
particularly playable. I recognise things from it because I'm used to Doom, but it's all white. Uh, there are there is colour on it, but when you get the actual movement of the the main Doom screen, it's all in white. It's not particularly visible. Teletext can do colour. I think the way Teletext works is you send a colour signal and everything beyond that isn't in the colour, then you send another colour signal to change it. So I don't know if the, if using colour would mean doubling or tripling the amount of information that's needed to do it. Maybe that would slow it down, I don't know. But I think if they added colour, it would be a world better in terms of visibility. Um, and also, when they made the video, it's a shame they didn't record in the right refresh rate so that it didn't flicker the way it did. It was a, wee, a little bit disappointing, but I'm maybe used to watching someone's channel who carefully does that when he's doing CRTs. I know I'm, I'm told by you and Mark and all the rest of it, it's incredibly difficult to get it right, but I just take it for granted when I watch your videos. Not, it's not just about getting it right. It's about whether you actually have a camera that has the settings to even allow you to lock oh, into yeah. a CRT. If you haven't got yeah. the right camera, you're not going to go out and spend £700 on a camera just to make this video. Um, and also, what uh, in this video, he shows the CRT and the laptop side by side, and a yeah. lot of cameras, even if they can tune into a CRT, when you've got the two side by side, they'll still struggle with that, with that scenario. Right. So, yeah. Um, there is colour, I must add, on the HUD, um, yeah. but not in the game itself. Yeah. Yeah, so we've ever seen that. But um, it's very interesting, but... Um, I it's not um the truth is you're you're not really playing doom on teletext you're just translating it to teletext from the laptop so it's not a way of um playing doom on low-end hardware really i guess yeah you need that source to get the game from yeah um yeah yeah i just wish they'd replace the enemies with uh the guy from bamboozle so you could that run would around be so shooting funny. him. <laughs> <laughs> Other teletext characters. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, this crazy experiment was done by Lugnu, um, and we'll link to his YouTube channel in the show notes. Be warned, though, as Dave has alluded to, there is some CRT flicker, and I'm not entirely blaming it for the migraine I got moments after watching it but that did happen uh i think it was definitely a factor i watched this video then i was watching george tui from to his tech and gaming and i found myself thinking what's wrong with his face and i realized it was actually my eyes failing as i as a migraine kicked in um so do watch it in a well-lit room is my advice uh, i was stupid enough and i was sitting in the dark uh, and i'd spent the whole day staring at spreadsheets before that as well so like i think like i said i think this was just the last the final nail in the migraine coffin for me um but just be warned especially if you get seizures um but anyway uh, in the description, sorry, Neil, go on. Oh, I was just going to say I, I have great sympathy for you because I experienced the first migraine I've had in my life. I've n never oh, had no. them before, you know, the occasional slight headache, but never a migraine. Uh, mm. And I had one last week and it was just horrendous. I had a bag of peas on my head. I was yeah. <laughs> taking whatever painkillers I could find, sat in the dark, just waiting for it to pass. And when it passed, every, you know, it's all back to normal again, but because I'd never mm. had one before, it's like, what is happening to me? It's scary. Like, yeah. It was scary. So did you get the messy vision and everything? I didn't have problems with my vision. Oh, okay. It was yeah. just so painful. It was like yeah. a vice When you want to head. scoop out your eye to relieve the pressure, that mm. kind of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just drill into your head. You feel as if you drill into your head, it'll, it'll shoot all the... This, this yeah. compacted blood will shoot out as if it's, it's exactly. so under pressure in there. 
Yeah. So, so this I, week on migraine I, I, yeah, I understand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not nice. They're not nice. Uh, but anyway, where were we? Uh, yeah, in the description on the YouTube video, um, he does actually, he links to the source code uh, and the full project description on GitHub. So check it out as always. Time now for our community question of the week in which you participate and uh, answer the question, which last week was set as, what is your favorite operating system? And most importantly, why is it your favorite? Quite a relevant question since I've just installed Windows 11 and have been thinking about OSs this week. So what makes your choice stand out above the rest? Uh, let's go to our subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro please do take a moment to uh, go and follow that um uh and also while you're here subscribe if you listen on youtube and um leave us a review if you like on your favorite podcast app it all helps to get the word out there so um dave have you locked in the answers yes um i'll need to speak to duncan to do that properly from now on but yes let's let's see i have Let's say you have. Okay, so the one that I've got at the top here is Antiques for Geeks. Is that the same for you? Um, yes. Okay, so I'll read out that one, the first answer. Antiques for Geeks says OS2. Don't laugh. Yes, you snickering away at the back with your modern trousers. Real developers use <laughs> Python sticker on your laptop and generic web front end. <laughs> You with your modern trousers. Yes, OS2. <laughs> not modern trousers. <laughs> um, cords, maybe? Sort of baggy cords with uh, cords braces. Okay. Maybe oh, something like that. I don't okay. know. But yeah, modern trousers. Faded brown ones. Yeah. Yeah, brown cords. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Um, I was never one for the Unix world and Windows at the time was a mess of blue screens of deaths. But for a brief period between 92 and 94, it felt like the future to me, at least the sleek, clean lines of the white box, the UI that screamed minimalism, the promises of stability in PC plus. Even if when I got my hands on it in 1993, all I did was use it to run Windows applications. OS2 stands out, though, not for technical reasons. It's because I'll never get that feeling of the new back in the same way. Everything was possible. I had time on my side, and the road was open ahead of me. To have that is priceless. I mean, that sums up the, the hobby in one sentence, doesn't it? To have time on your side for everything to feel new, it really is a priceless feeling and, and a feeling that we, we chase at times, I think. Yeah. Um, any have you used OS two guys? No, <laughs> very very briefly, um, very briefly. It was in the school for some reason. Uh, mm. Maybe they thought it was going to be the next best thing, but yeah, very briefly. Um, I don't know much about it. Was it more stable than Windows? Why did it fail? If it was better than Windows, it was um, on IBM machines, wasn't it? It was a collaboration with Microsoft and IBM to come up with a, a stable operating system on those mm. IBM machines, and um. After that relationship broke down, it became uh, a large chunk of it became the code base for Windows NT, and Microsoft headed off that way, which eventually. Oh, I did it right. Okay, XP. Yeah. So eventually, consumers um, got that as Windows XP. I mean, the comments will True. tell me if I'm talking nonsense, but I'm pretty sure that's the story. Without opening up a browser and researching it, um, so it ran on DOS still. Seem to remember <laughs> <laughs> the, the story. DOS um, running in the background. Yeah, DOS. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it did feel new and futuristic and, and stable at the time. 
But yeah, my experience of you using OS2 was pretty much on the display machines at Dixon's, I have to say. Didn't see it in any companies, didn't see it at school. But it did feel new and it felt like it had a kind of clean, professional edge to it compared to the Windows 3.1 or whatever else was on sale at Dixon's at the time. So yeah, I I can fully understand Antiques for Geeks' uh, thoughts on this, if not his thoughts on trousers. Um, Dave, would you like to... Go on. Does this mean that does it, it is OS two basically? Let's make a version of Windows that doesn't rely on DOS. Is that what it was? Okay, I've just popped a window up just to try and get some facts on OS two. Make sure we uh, we we do say the right thing. So um, OS two is a series of operating systems initially created by Microsoft and IBM under the leadership of IBM software designer Ed uh, Lukabuchi. As a result of a feud between the two companies over how to position OS2 relative to Microsoft's own Windows 3.1, that's when the two companies severed their relationship in 1992, and then OS2 development fell exclusively to IBM. Um, And then uh, what then happened? IBM went off with OS2. Yeah, Microsoft just went off and developed NT themselves of course but taking the lessons that they'd learned from os2 uh, and their own windows 3.1 okay uh next answer to our question of the week who wants to claim it i'll go i'll do it um <laughs> where do you go then oh, Chris I'll, you go? Let's fight about. I'll go because it's short uh Fisket, and it's short because it's the best answer amiga os he says it's comfortable and it's organized properly there you go there you go. Nobody Don't has a bad word to say about the Amiga operating system. Apparently, it was great for its time. In all honesty, I hardly used it because um, I just played games. So mm. that's, that's the reality. There's, of there's, it. there's a, a confession many people should be making. The same with the ST. Yeah. I stuck a, stuck a game disc in, and that was it. Yeah, true. I put yep. discs in. I ran them. Uh, some mm. of them had to be run from in workbench, but I didn't have a hard drive, so I didn't have to get into the mechanics of how to mm. do all that sort of side of things. I yeah. might have changed the color of the desktop background or played with the mouse pointer, but what was the point? Because I never saved it anyway, so it would just mm. reset when I put my workbench disk back in. Um, but need, I need will say drive. this. Did I need a hard drive? With hindsight, no, I would I have loved if, a hard drive. If you have a hard drive, that's when you start to to make those modifications and oh, save yeah. them and get your yeah. desktop sorted out. I, think I, so. I, love, I love using a hard drive in the A1200. Um, obviously yeah. not all games are hard drive installable but those that are you, it, it all starts to make sense yeah um, but of course yeah but even though I wasn't hardcore as a as a, a workbench user knowing it inside out and, and how to customize mm. it and all the rest of it I will say that when I switched to a PC and loaded up Windows 3.1 for the first time my first reaction was this is a step backwards this this feels Ab- odd absolutely yeah yeah, I couldn't. 100%. I couldn't put my finger on why. It just felt yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent with you there. But thankfully, we had DOS to do everything in. Uh, Dave, next answer. I'm, I've really enjoyed the comments of this one. So, Tech Made Easy UK says, "Okay, I'll be that guy." Linux, far more secure, runs in a potato, births Android and numerous other embedded branches, has available software to complete most tasks, which rivals paid versions on Windows and Mac. And it's free. Yeah, 2023 is the year of the Linux desktop. But I particularly enjoy the replies to this. <laughs> uh, the JPster says, also not an operating system. Winky smiley face. Downvoted quite heavily. 
<laughs> Tech Made Easy UK says, okay, family of operating systems. The GP just says, it's a kernel, like Mac or Exec, and it comes with a lot of di- very <laughs> oh. different user lands to make it a lot of very different operating systems. Pick one. And mm. Tech Made Easy UK says, I'm not disagreeing with you, but RedHat.com and Linux.com both refer to Linux as an operating system, so at least I'm in good company. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> oh, God. Dare to mention Linux. Um, mm. uh, I've got... <laughs> I put a tweet out just this morning um, of a picture of my laptop saying I finally upgraded to Windows 11. I've um, I've customized the start menu. I've got the old Windows 95 background on the laptop. Fine. Just a fun little tweet uh, to which one reply was, you've misspelled downgraded, and they've just posted a link to download the installer for Ubuntu Linux. (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend that if, if anyone does switch to Linux, and it's an admirable thing to switch to Linux. If you do switch to Linux, you're having a problem doing something. Here's what to tweet out to get the best technical support <laughs> in the world. I switched to Linux and found out that it can't do this. <laughs> nice. Wow. And you will get loads of replies explaining just how to do it, as well as Mastodon links. <laughs> Look out for top trolling, trolling tips like that and more from Dave in future shows. Uh, let's move on to this week's question of the week well it's a slightly unusual question of the week because we're going to turn the tables for episode 128 whatever the significance of that may be and we are going to ask you to ask us questions so ask us anything it can be for all of us it can be for just one of us it can be for duncan even and he can uh, fill out the answers for us uh, and we'll read them out on his behalf so anything you want to ask us about anything it's a very open question and we'll be as honest as possible in the answers um just go on over to our subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro look for the pinned question of the week leave a comment on that we do ask that you use reddit to submit the stories that we want to discuss and also to uh do the question of the week just to keep it all in one place keep it nice and manageable for us but you can join the conversation with us at discord discord.gg forward slash rmc retro there's a This Week in Retro room, or you can chat in all of the other rooms with uh, fellow cave dwellers, Arcadians, twirlers, and enthusiasts from our uh, lovely community. Look forward to seeing you there. And until next week, take care, everyone. I'm, I'm making this outro last as long as possible because I know Chris is desperate to go to the toilet right now. Dave, do you have oh anything you'd like to add? Where's my cat? I've got, my a pop, cat. I've got a pop shield from a microphone. Please let me know if it's any better. Yeah. Look, okay. cats. Yeah, yeah. I'm waving. Bye. I'm going to the toilet. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. 
If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.